Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hi, this is Steve. Last week, millions tuned in to watch the Chicago Cubs and the Cleveland Indians battle it out in one of the most exciting World Series of the last decade. Now, this one had everything. Great pitching, base running, rain delays, intentional walks, and game-changing home runs. But it also had something else. It had two cities hoping and praying that this year would end the curse. Because baseball is more than fast pitches and great plays. Baseball is about tradition and history superstition, and character. It's about that moment when a hitter faces a pitcher, success or failure, hero or laughingstock. It will all be decided in a split second. But that second seems to last forever. There is perhaps no more dramatic moment in sports than two outs in the bottom of the ninth, and no movie captures that moment better than The Natural, directed by Barry Levinson and starring Robert Redford. With fantastic performances, an amazing score by Randy Newman, and beautiful cinematography, The Natural captures something both magical and nostalgic about this most American of pastimes. It's available for rental on Amazon and iTunes, and there is a nice Blu-ray as well. That's The Natural, one of the greatest sports films of all time, this week on The Cinephiles. You know, my mother told me I ought to be a farmer. My dad wanted me to be a baseball player. Well, you're better than anyone I ever had. And you're the best goddamn hitter I ever saw. 
suit up. Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, its filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. I'm John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist and host of numerous shows here in Los Angeles, California, including this one. That's right. Yes. And today we go deep into a film that, to me, is about America. Yeah. Because you cannot separate America and baseball. Mm-mm. They go together. Almost as much as like as you can go back in time. Yeah, I guess the Revolutionary War and all that. But they were like, not playing it, baseball yet. No, but baseball was just around the corner. Yeah. You know, and you, when I watched that documentary that Ken Burns did, yeah. which was incredibly engrossing, if you love the game, uh, it's so far back. It's so far back that game. And so this is one of those great films that really captures the love, um, the beauty, and the connection that people have with baseball in this country in a spiritual and mythic sense yes absolutely and the movie we're talking about is the natural yeah 1984 robert redford directed by barry levinson uh based on the novel by bernard malmut uh it is a it is just i don't know it's one of the archetypal baseball movies mm-hmm. how did you first come to this film i came to i think when i was very young uh probably right after it come out on vhs or beta because my parents were huge robert redford fans yeah and so we rented it to watch i think on beta or vhs it was very early in the 80s and I remember watching it, and I just was in love with the film, in love with the story. And it was just at the time when I was beginning to understand adult themes and adult matters in movies. Right. You know, you have the Barbara Hershey stuff. You have uh, the the love connection. You have Glenn Close standing up as the lady in white. You have all these things that go through. And I was also beginning my love of sports. And so it just kind of hit at the right time for me. And it's always been one of my favorite sports films, bar none. It's one of mine, too. Yeah. And it's funny... It, it uh it has those adult themes but they're handled in such a delicate way yeah that if you're a kid and you're not quite cluing into all of it right. then it's just a beautiful baseball story right um for me i think i saw it in the theater i'm not sure okay but for me with a movie like this like i can't separate baseball and fathers yeah you know oh yeah and like like there's just something about baseball and i feel bad for my mom because i've talked about my dad several times on this show (laughs) and there are movies that i definitely associate with my mom but westerns and baseball is about my dad my dad was a huge giants fan from from san francisco okay and so when the giants came to the west he was 16 wow and so he went to see them at seal stadium he had you know so going the going to see the giants was a big deal my parents right. took me out of school opening day every year as a kid to go to <laughs> Candlestick Park to watch the Giants That's play. That's amazing. And my dad always had the Giants on, on the radio. Mm-hmm. It was just this part of my gr- growing up. And even though I don't like baseball that much, like yeah. as a sport, I like playing it. It was fun. I played Little League. But there's something about baseball and movies. Yeah. I think, I, maybe I said this before, to me it's the, one of the two best sports for films. Yeah, absolutely. The, the other one being boxing. Yes. Boxing and baseball make for great movies. And there are great movies made out of other sports. Mm-hmm. But, and this one, to me, along with Field of Dreams, I think, yeah. captures the essence of, of how I feel about baseball and fathers and America and the mythology of traditional um, 
feeling yeah. more than any other movie I can think. Well, it's Americana, isn't it? I mean, yeah. this particular in this particular version of the natural itself is Americana. Is really baseball as Americana. The the way that Barry Levinson shoots the film through the haze, through the like the softer lens, through all yeah. those kinds of things. I mean, the slow motion that he has when he chooses to use it, the 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 sun behind Robert Redford and when he's about yeah, to gorgeous. pitch to the whammer. All these things bring back that mythology of baseball from that from that time, which we feel existed at that time you know the good old days that whole phrase of the good old days yes it was but we, when we had negro leagues and there was segregation so maybe it wasn't the good old days but people remember it as that kind of uh, of nostalgia that really echoes within a lot of people for generations well and i think that's what's neat about this movie is it contains both the platonic ideal of the mythology yeah and some of the dark side to the story as well absolutely and so and so it doesn't it doesn't say there's no Corruption. Mm-hmm. It just says, let's believe in this ideal. Well, when, when we get to Robert Redford's character, I discovered so much more watching it again for this podcast than I had remembered from before. Like, I think I forgave him more than I should have. And as I watched it now as a man in my 40s, I was like, oh, you, you kind of brought all this stuff on yourself. No, and you almost did it again. Well, this is well. That's exactly the point. Right. I mean, so let's 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 back yeah, yeah, just a little bit because I'm definitely we definitely have to get into that. <laughs> that's true. Um, so first of all, this is a a movie based on a book by Bernard uh, Malmund. Yeah. And uh, I read. Have you ever read the book? No. I read the book years ago, okay. and I knew that I wasn't going to like it before okay. I read it okay. uh, because what I knew about the book is the book is very different from the movie, and oh. the book is much darker. And here's this again. We're going to give you this warning. We always give you. Oh yeah. This is a 30 year old movie. We're going to spoil it. If yeah. you haven't watched the movie, you really should watch it. It's a lovely film, uh, but this is where the spoilers begin. This is a story about uh, a baseball player who um, had the greatest potential in the world as like a high school baseball player, yes. came from the Midwest somewhere, farm boy, you know, as pure as can be, mm-hmm. and just on the verge of being a great success. He's a great pitcher. He's just struck out who is essentially a Babe Ruth yeah. character. And then he falls for this woman who shoots him. Right. And she is seems as if like she's a serial killer who's yeah. been killing off the best athletes in every single sport. Mm-hmm. And then he disappears for 16 years. And then as a 40-year-old man, he comes to a down-and-out uh, baseball team called the New York Knights right. and emerges as the great hitter mm-hmm. of all time, turns the team around, and then gets tempted by both a woman again uh played by kim basinger mm-hmm. and also uh by money someone wants him to throw the big game right and the question of course of the film is he going to throw the big game mm-hmm. and in the book he does wow yeah and the book is much darker what? yeah the character of roy Ooh. hobbs in the book is really an opportunist he's kind of a streetwise guy yeah. who comes and he's sort of playing the gamblers and playing people for his own advantage and it's a it's a book that was written in in the 50s from uh as i said bernard malmud yeah and it is it was quite famous at the time uh he's a jewish american uh writer whose okay. children of russian immigrants loved both loved america and was also excluded from america mm, interesting was really struggled for a long time the naturals yeah. his first book his first book that's successful Okay, And it really shows sort of, you know, it's like both the movie and the book show the mythology of America against the darker sides of America. And in the movie, the mythology wins. Right. And in the book, the darkness wins. Wow. And it's really a condemnation in a way of America. Um, And now I want to read it. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was really hard for me. Is it a good read, though, or it's is a, it a bad read? It is read? a good book. Okay, it's a good I, book. It's, I can't give you an objective okay. opinion. Okay. I do think it's a good book. It was quite a famous book okay. before the movie, right. and the movie eclipses the book, I think. Gotcha. And for me, I love the movie, so reading the book, it just hurt, you yeah. know? So I'm like, oh, no, I, I want to <laughs> like this. I want, I want to believe in this hero, right. and he's not going to give you that in the book. Wow. Um, so okay. the, there had been a few decades where people wanted to make this into a movie, mm-hmm. and finally it's in the early 80s that they finally get a development deal. Uh, it's the first film of TriStar. Uh, they cu- the, the big key to it was signing Robert Redford to play the lead. Okay. Once he decided he wanted to do it, then it was in. And he's the guy who picked Barry Levinson. Wow. Because he had seen Diner and he loved Diner. Mm. And you think about, I mean, this is Barry Levinson's second movie. Right. I mean, that's a that's a lot of movie to have to handle. Yeah. With Robert Redford and Glenn Close and, yeah. and, and Duvall and, and baseball. Very complicated scene movie yes. from Diner, which is kind of an indie, almost an indie film. Right. And the first decision that they make, Robert Redford and Barry Levinson are together and they say, well, he's got to win the game. He can't throw the game. Right. And so immediately, and they knew because it's a popular book that yeah. they were going to be in trouble. And what's funny looking at it now, it's like you can't imagine it any other way. Right. It's one of those rare instances where they changed the ending of the book and people weren't upset about it. Yeah. Because, right? Yeah. Because it, now <laughs> I'm upset about the book. <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. But it's, it's, such, it's such a great exploration of that time. You know, the, I, I love the name, The Whammer. You have the idea of the cynical sports writer, which, which was right there during that time in the 50s and 60s. That's what they were being. And now. Yeah, and now, of course. But, uh, and, and you have the idea of the corrupt owners, which was like Comiskey with the White Sox, which yep. is why they, they did the Black Sox scandal. Like, you always had these kind of owners that were in the game just for the money. And you still have it now, obviously. You know, there are some owners who, like I would say Dan Snyder of the Redskins, who's my personal, my team since I, since I was a child. I hate that guy so much right. as the owner of the Redskins because he's a terrible, terrible person who puts who puts a lot of terrible mojo on the team. And I think what you saw here, Robert Prosky, who plays the owner of who's the New York great. Knights, who's fantastic, who completely different than he is in broadcast news, oh, completely yeah. different than he is in in oh, just about any film you've ever seen him in. He plays the more like just a little more evil and yeah, the hissing and there's all of that in it's how he's classic playing. bad guy. It is. It is. It's a great classic bad yes. guy. Please pardon the absence of light. You see, as a youngster, I was I was frightened of the dark, and uh, I used to wake up sobbing in it as if it was water, and I was drowning in it. But as you will observe, I have so thoroughly disciplined myself against that fear that now I much prefer a dark room. The only thing I know about the dark is you can't see in it. A pure canard. What's a canard? A prevarication. What does that mean? A lie. The whole idea of the lights, like being in the dark all the time, yeah. all that thing, and then Darren McGavin, who's great. What a what a turn away from Christmas Story, yeah. playing such a, a, a kind of an e- just an evil guy, like a yeah. carny, an evil carny almost, you yeah. know, and manipulative. And by the way, he's uncredited. Oh, is he really? Yeah, he's oh, uncredited. Wow. Yeah. So what happened was they cast everybody else. <laughs> so weird, isn't it? They cast everybody else, and and one of the things that happens in the casting process is all of the agents are yeah. angling for credit within the film, and there's different meanings. Like you'll watch. And starring this right. person with this person, and also starring this yes. person, introducing, spe- introducing yeah. that person, spe- and all of them are jockeying for position. Whose name goes first? Whose name goes right. last? So, for instance, it's really good to be first, and it's really good to be and starring blank yes. at the very end. Not so good to be in the middle. Everyone doesn't <laughs> want to be eclipsed by somebody else, and all of that stuff had been negotiating right. when Darren McGavin came on, and finally the decision was screw it, no credit. What? And what was interesting was apparently. That did really well for his career because everyone went, wait, where's his credit? Who's that guy? guy? 
And so suddenly he gets more work from being uncredited than yeah. maybe he would have gotten with the credit. He's, He's had great an interesting in career, by the way. Oh, yeah. Cold, the Night Stalker, yeah. Christmas Story, all these weird things that he shows up in. He's so, so good. He's never, he's never not good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you get Duvall, who is a huge oh, star at this point. Right. And they were really worried about getting him because they're like, oh, is he going to take this supporting part? Yeah. And Duvall seems to be a guy that's like, you give him a good role, he's going to come in. And he's oh, yeah. great in that He's part. so spectacular yeah. as this part. And because you kind of don't like him, but he's an interesting character. Like, you, you can't take your eyes off him. The way he speaks, even the one, two, three strikeout, he just does a strike three and he goes, you're out. Like, the surprise in oh, his yeah. mind that this actually happened was so well done. Well, let's talk about that moment in the yeah. story. So let's, let's back up a little bit. So the story is Roy Hobbs. Yeah, and he's Roy Hobbs. The, yeah. Roy Hobbs, and he's the young, up-and-coming pitcher. Mm-hmm. And by the, way, can, by the way, can we talk about the fact that they're in their 30s, playing yeah, 15-year-olds or 18-year-olds? And, and, and so they do obvious. Great, they do. And it's so funny, because I remember when I was a kid, it didn't bother me at all. And now I'm watching, I'm like, man, they're really in the shadows there. They are. Glenn Close is a woman. That is not a teenage girl. And there's this... You you meet Roy Hobbs as a kid, and yeah. he's the great pitcher. And then there's the really lusciously romantic American pastoral, you know, guy with a girlfriend on the hilltop in the yeah. shadow, and he's going off to to the big leagues, to the Mets. Thinks. Yeah. And there's this moment where she takes him by the hand, and they're in the barn, and she says, "It's okay." Yeah. And they move into the shadows in the barn. And that is beautiful storytelling. That's how you make love without showing it. You because get it. Say, you and, get and, it. You get. Well, I don't know that I got it at, you know, 13. No, exactly. I didn't get it at 13. But watching it now, I'm like, oh, they're saying they are now going to have sex. Right. For the first time, they're both losing their virginity. Right. And this is, and it's lovely and romantic and sweet. But and, once again, it's Americana. It's Americana. It's absolutely. how they view lovemaking back then. Right. Right. And then, because, and of course, they know exactly what their lives are going to be like. Right. He's going to be a big baseball player. Yep. They're going to get married. They're going to own the farm. Right. It's obvious. Right. And of course, nothing's going to happen that way because Roy, on a train, meets the Whammer, who's essentially the Babe Ruth. Yeah. We meet Barbara Hershey, who's mm-hmm. this odd, beautiful, mysterious woman. The woman in black. And they're at some uh, train stop, and yeah. there's a carnival, and the Whammer is hitting home runs. And Roy Hobbs is throwing strikes, you know, knocking down milk cans. And there's a challenge of, I bet Roy Hobbs can strike the whammer out in three pitchers. And you have the first of our really amazingly beautiful sports set pieces. Absolutely. Just, yeah, just seeing the way, the way everybody is dressed, Mm -hmm. then seeing the, the contentious nature of both the whammer and then Roy Hobbs when he says, Hey, watch your mouth, mister. Like he's going back at Babe Ruth, who is the number one star in the world at this point. Like essentially Babe Wood is standing in for Babe Ruth. And I, and we're going to, I want to talk about that, but I want to say one thing first, which is it is beautiful. The film is beautifully shot by Mm -hmm. Caleb Deschanel, who's Zoe Deschanel's dad. Yes. And also a cinematographer for the right stuff. Mm -hmm. And the film takes a tremendous use of uh, what's called magic hour. So magic hour, for those of you who don't know, is that time when the sun is just starting to set. And any time you're out photographing or something and the sun starts to go down, now's the time to take pictures because everything looks great. Right. But really hard to shoot in because it doesn't last that long. No. And the light is constantly changing. So if you want to shoot at Magic Hour, you've got to be ready and set up and shoot it. And they have those shots, particularly that slow motion shot yeah. of him pitching that is just lush and gorgeous and golden and perfect. And and that's the first really, really good shot of Redford yeah. where you can really see him clearly. And yeah, he's old, but Redford is a really beautiful man. Yes, he is. He really <laughs> is. And that shot, he looks great. But then the way he pitches the ball and the slow motion shot of him throwing that last ball, just fantastic. And the reaction by everybody... <laughs> 
the skip punch. I love oh, the yeah. skip punch, which is which is exactly what a young man would do. Yeah. It's that excitement, but don't want to show too much. Yeah, right? absolutely. And then you see that moment when Barbara Hershey turns, turns her attention from the whammer to Roy Hobbs. And this is one of the things I said it in another podcast that I always think about Redford is there's so much you can always see the wheels turning yeah. when he's acting. Yeah. You can see the thought process. And so for him to play naive right. is really interesting to yeah. me. And he did it really well. He did. Because he's not a guy who's naive. No. That's not who Redford is. No. I'm he's not. a guy who's thinking. Yeah. This but, is like what almost 10 years after the candidate. Yeah. And he's incredibly intelligent on the candidate. Oh yeah. yeah. And now he plays very naive and now we get so Barbara Hershey. <clears throat> What a weird villain she is in this film. Well, yeah, she's clearly unstable. And um, we have a somewhat introduction to her by what Max, which is Robert Duvall, is saying about to the Whammer about what he's reading in the newspaper, that this woman is going around, or this person is going well, around. Well, we, we know that these people have been killed. Yeah, killing, killing popular people from different sports. Yeah, the top football player, yeah. top track star, or something right. like that. Right. And, oh, isn't that interesting? And, by the way, that's a really good exposition. Yes. Because it kind of gets thrown out there as this right. weird thing, and you're not thinking about it. Nope. And then you meet Barbara Hershey, and you see her turn to, to Roy, who's saying, I'm going to be the best there ever was right. in this game. And there's this moment where they sit down and they ha they're in the train talking late into the night. Right. And she is talking about, and this is one of the first sort of thematic things we get. Yeah. She is talking about knights in shining armor. Yeah, Homer. Sir Galahad. Yeah. And Homer yeah. and the Iliad and the Odyssey, which Roy has no idea what she's <laughs> talking course, about. No, he's Only Homer I know has four bases in it. <laughs> Homer lived ages ago and wrote about heroes and gods. Oh. And he would have had it in mind to write about baseball had he seen you out there today. You know what, someday, I'm going to break every record in the book. And what will you hope to accomplish? When I walk down the street, people look at me and say, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was. Is that all? <laughs> well, what else is there? And then this moment comes where she says, Do you have a girl? And he doesn't answer. Yes! And this is a betrayal. Yes! And this, to me, is one of the things about this film. It's funny. We got into a conversation in, in, in about The Shining, yeah. about Room 237, right. and symbolism within film, and what are their secret messages in the film. And, and that's one where I don't see them all. Right. This is one where there are very, very clear symbols mm -hmm. and themes within this film. And one of them is the idea of the knight. Yeah. The knight in shining armor. The, and that like Sir Lancelot is the greatest knight in the world, but he cannot get the grail because he is not pure. Right. Because of his love for Guinevere. Right. This is the moment where Roy ceases to be pure. Yes. This moment. Do you have a girlfriend? Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't tell her. Right. And that violates his knightly pureness. Yeah. And that is the choice that leads him to 16 years in the wilderness. Yes. But then he still doesn't learn the lesson when he starts messing around with Kim Basinger. Nope. Same person. And even has that line where he says, well, you're right, Memo. We have met before. Yep. And it's like. How many times do you need to learn this lesson? Even Pop came well, apparently to Apparently twice. Yeah, apparently twice. Well, <laughs> if. We don't know what happens when he gets yeah. on the phone with the gun close. Right. But like, even Wilford Brimley, who plays Pop, who's fantastic as the coach, oh, as him. the manager of the team, says to him, don't go after her. She's bad news. Yeah. I'm telling you not to do this. But Roy's desire for what he cannot have, Roy's desire for this unattainable, beautiful woman, rather than what he could have, is always his downfall. And I think this is what, uh, I, when I was younger, I forgave him. As an older person, I go, you got to take responsibility for your actions here, son. You are causing everything that happens to you in this movie. Well, I think that is definitely what's happening. Right. And I think the movie says that he does. In the end, he does. But it's okay. no question that he comes to the succubus. You know, that she is 
The, yes. You know, because that's when he starts losing. Right. The moment his, and this is why this is a mythic movie. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. the, it is not a coincidence that the name of the team he plays on. Yeah, the New York Knights. Is the Knights. Right. You know, and it's like the, the bat that he Can-nickets. uses. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the bat that he uses that after his dad died, a lightning bolt hits the tree yeah. and he carves the bat out of the, out of the smoldering heart of the tree <laughs> that symbolizes his father. So great. You know, I mean, like this is his, yeah. this is his Excalibur. Exactly. Yeah. This you can possibly get. <laughs> and then, and then lightning becomes a symbol throughout the thing right. they, they wear lightning bolt patches on their arms yeah. when he's when he needs to summon his mystical power lightning starts striking from the sky right. the explosion of the lights i mean this is a mythical movie yeah. and when he starts sleeping with memo his power is sucked away by the succubus yeah and it is very clear that he is repeating the same sin that he had to start paying for and he says a line some things you never start paying for some mistakes you never stop paying for yeah steve morris that line has been in my mind since the day I saw that movie. And when I've had situations mm-hmm. with certain people in certain situations uh, that have come back to bite me years later, I've always said the line in my head, some mistakes you never stop paying yeah. for. And it's true. Well, and one of the keys to stop paying for the mistake, stop making stop it. Stop making the same mistake. Exactly. Stop making that mistake. <laughs> and, and, it's so fu- and, and it's funny. We talked about Kim Basinger yeah. in, in LA Confidential, where she gives a really stunning performance. She is. In this film, I don't know if she's given a good performance or not, but I hate her. Yeah, you know, but this is why I told you before when we did LA Confidential, I was not a fan of hers in the 80s. I thought she got by on her looks. It isn't until Lele Confidential, it isn't until she's older as a woman, as an actress, that she really brings power to her roles. And in this, she is just a mall. Like she was in Batman. She's just a mall. Nothing to be uh, M-O-L-L is what I mean. She's not, nothing right. of any note. Nothing of any note. She does her job well. She's a beautiful woman. She does. And yes, you do hate her because she's also very lost. Uh, in a different way than Barbara Hershey was, uh, because she's ruthless, but in a different way than Barbara Hershey was. You know, um, but she does perfectly fulfill what is required of her yes. for the role because her performance is kind of weird, yeah. and awkward, and sort of stumbling and nervous. And I'm yeah. like, is that bar- weaknesses in Barbara Hershey? Or, I'm sorry, in Kim Basinger's acting, right? Or is that weaknesses within the character that she's actually acting quite well? Well, compare her to Barbara Hershey. Barbara Hershey's at the same age at the same time. Sure. And there's more there's more power in But what that's she's what's doing. necessary for that character. Right. I just don't think Kim at that time would have pulled off with Barbara Hershey. Could my, do. my gut is that I agree. No, I yeah. totally agree with yeah. that. But but I also go, well, she's again, this goes to casting. Is yes. maybe they just cast her perfectly Absolutely. for where she was at that point to do the thing Agreed. that was required. Agreed. Because the minute she shows up, you go, No, no, it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Don't do this. Right. Like we don't and, and what's funny. It's funny. So, so back in the story, now forty-year-old, weary, worn-out uh, Robert Redford, Roy Hobbs shows up at yeah. the losing Knights team, coached by Wilfred Brimley, who, as you said, is great. So good. And Richard T. Farnsworth, who is great. Loved Richard Farnsworth. Yeah, just unbelievably great actors, and they're just put upon. And here walks in the world's oldest rookie, yeah. and of course, Wilfred Brimley's no way. Fella, you don't start playing ball at your age; you retire. Where did he find you? The Heber Oilers. The Heber Oilers? I never heard of them. They're semi-pro. Did you ever play organized ball in your life? I just got back in the game. What does that mean? I used to play in high school. <laughs> Freddie used to play in high school. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> Scotty Carson signs him up. The judge okays the deal. They ain't talked to me yet. I got that in my deal for as long as I live. They got to talk to me. They got a contract. I want to see it. 
And it's funny. This is they're walking a fine line because you really like Wilfred Brimley, yeah, and he is a complete dick to this other guy you really like, and you understand why. And you're like, please give him a chance because, of course, we know the movie's called The Natural. Right. Like if he sucked, we wouldn't have a movie. Um, yeah. Uh, but he's really not cool to him. And there's yeah. this moment where he's not going to let him play. He's not going to let him practice. He's suiting up every day, and they have this fantastic montage where they're losing and losing. You have you have the psychiatrist. It's so great. Losing is a disease as contagious as syphilis. It's just so. <laughs> and finally, Roy walks out, and they have a fight. Yeah. And Wilford Brimley says, "I'm sending you down, Hobbs. Class B ball." Tomorrow morning, you go to the Great Lakes Association. Okay, you make the rules. That's right. That's right. And you ain't been playing by it. All these other guys play by him. Don't you remember signing a contract? Yeah, I remember signing a contract to play ball. Not to be put to sleep by some two-bit carny hypnotist. I won't do that. You're going down. It you took me, me a long time to get here, Pop. I won't do it. I can't. I came here to play ball. Batting practice tomorrow. Be there. I have been. Every day. That's power. Yeah. That's not giving nope. an inch. and still, st- st- But still understanding that he, you're, you're accepting what he's telling you. And again, Redford is sincere. Yes, he has he that is. ability to just say, this is what I'm speaking from my heart. Yeah. And he has wisdom that he's brought with him. He has the power of truth. Yeah. The other thing he says, and maybe it's not in that scene, but he says, he says you play me, you get everything I got. Yeah. Now, and I was thinking about, because that's a thing you hear all the time. Like, mm-hmm. if you watch any pregame thing for yeah, any yeah, show, yeah. every athlete says, I'm going to give 110%. Mm-hmm. They can't, they can't, my heart is so big. I, they all say these things. And I, it's not that they don't mean them. No. But then I thought about, what's the difference when hearing that from a 40-year-old guy? Yeah. Because when the 40-year-old guy says, I'm going to give you everything I got, that guy, when Redford says it, yeah. You feel the 16 years of pain it took him to get here. Absolutely resonates. Yeah. And you're like, yes, he is going to give everything yeah. he's got. Yeah. And Barry Levinson, he's such a deft director in this film. Mm-hmm. And by the way, so we should talk a little bit about Barry Levinson. Yeah. We didn't talk about it before. You know where he got his start, his first screenwriting gigs? No. Mel Brooks. Oh, he that's wrote great. Screen- High Anxiety. He wrote um, <laughs> Silent Movie. He uh, he did a bunch of writing in the seventies, wow. and then and then diner, and then to this, and right. had been a performer a little bit okay. on stuff. And he's also one of those guys who has just an unbelievably great run of films yeah. for a few years, and then he does you know he does homicide. And he does. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that he hasn't done anything good since, but boy, I love love diner, the natural, Tin Man. I know yeah. we've talked Tin about Man, that we yeah. both love, and of course you have Good Morning Vietnam and yes. Rain Man. Right. These are really good films, and I, the natural to me shows unbelievable skill. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I really like is he'll frequently um, be filming dialogue that's unimportant away from drama that is really important. Mm-hmm. And an example of this is we have um, Farnsworth and Wilford Brimley playing Name That Tune with oh, each yeah. other. That's so in great. In this lovely scene. And during this whole scene, we have Roy Hobbs going out for his first batting practice. Yeah. And the sound of the bat that it makes is – and that them getting drawn into what's yeah. happening – is pretty amazing. Once again, it's the use of slow motion. Yeah. Because the hit of the ball is in regular time. The sounding of the ball as it hits the stands is in slow motion. Oh, which you're right. Which I think is great. That's a good point. That's yeah. so great because you hear the... 
You, it just, yeah. which is one of the most beautiful sounds in sports. And I wanted, to, I wanted to make sure I said this on this podcast because they caught it perfectly in the film. There's no, there's almost no greater sound than the sound of a baseball hitting the bat at the right time, and it just sends you, it sends that ball so far out. There. And then he slowed the film down, and you could see it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I hadn't thought about and that. It's, That's a great Because it's point. once again, it's that mythical thing of these shots are otherworldly. Right. These shots are not seen. Like all he's doing is hitting homers, but people are going nuts because he's hitting homers. What was everybody else hitting? And but there's just there's a distance and a and a and a, a magic to his homers that they have not seen. Well, and they do they do it beautifully with sound design, and I'm sure this was something they talked about. Yeah. Is like I know that when. Uh, when they made Raiders of the Lost Ark, they spent a lot of time trying to figure out what does Indiana Jones's punch sound like? Right. And it must sound different from everything else. Mm. I am sure in this movie they said when Roy Hobbs hits that ball, yeah. it doesn't sound like anybody else hit the ball. Yeah, because the bat is not a typical bat. He right. made it himself, and they have. I love that they go through that whole sequence, and like old nineteen forties film movie time news, yeah. where they measure the bat and weigh the bat and everything like that, and to approve it. And that's that's that is great because that lets you know the wood is different. It's not the same kind of wood. It's homemade bat, and there's a there's a once again a mythical thing in that for not just us watching it as an audience, but what you would think the audience that are in the stands in the movie, right? You know, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hello, Cinephiles fans. You know, we all kind of walk around with these stressors, big, small, medium in our lives that are triggered sometimes by frustrations at work or frustrations at our job or just frustrations overall about our life. Because sometimes you know this, if you compare, you despair and you just want to live a life that's a little bit more clean and accepting of yourself and a little more open to receiving positive messages for yourself so you can have that life that you want to live and have that great work-life balance. And it's not always easy. And for me, for years and years, I thought all of this stress, all of this hardship, I had to just carry on my own, that this is what it meant to be a man. And it was finally getting therapy where I realized like, oh, I don't have to carry that stuff. There's a place where I can unburden myself and actually get advice and guidance about how to deal with it better in the future. Yeah, Steve, you and I have spoken very proudly about how therapy has helped both of both of us deal with our stressors in our lives. And if any of you are listening to us who are thinking of starting therapy, well, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is to fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if things aren't working out, which I think is a great benefit. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Cinephiles today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Well, and this is the weird, is that if you think about a home run in baseball, yeah. it's a fairly boring thing if you remove it from the emotion of the game. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch... You know, Michael Jordan dunked the ball. Yeah. That is an amazing thing to watch, uh-huh. even if you don't care about basketball. Mm-hmm. If you watch a ball fly 300 yards and land in some seats, yeah. that actually isn't that exciting. 
what makes it exciting is your emotional connection to the game. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Is, is yeah. And understanding the drama of the moment. It's not like watching a great gymnast do three flips in the air. You know right. what I mean? Well, I would say yes and no, Steve, because I would argue that the hitter matters. Like Reggie's Reggie's yes. form, Reggie Jackson's form, when he hit a homer, was one of the greatest things You're right. ever. You're right. And I think other people hit homers is not that big of a deal. But if the if the there's a way that a certain hitter looks when they hit the home run that just adds to the mythical nature of it all. Well, and I think but you, you make actually exactly the right point. You're yeah. you're you're totally right because it is not it is the batter. Yes. And it's the it is the it is the bringing down to the minutia, the examination of the moment. And this is why I think baseball is really the greatest sports to make films about mm-hmm. is because baseball comes down to small moments. Yes. And those small moments are very clear. Like when you think of the greatest moments in a football game, like to me, it's that great run. Yeah. And it's a lot of things. There's blockers and there's someone picked up this block and then he spun right. here and then he moved there. And there's a lot of stuff. If you think of baseball, the greatest moment mm-hmm. is it's the hitter and the batter and it's anticipation mm-hmm. and it's slow and it's all coming down to, is he going to hit the ball or not hit right. the ball? It's not right. complicated. It's simple and very cinematic. Yeah. And also if you compare, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, boxing and baseball, right. it's man against man, man against man. And, and yes, you have that in tennis, you have that in other things, but it doesn't quite work the same as it does for boxing and tennis. And I don't mean boxing and baseball. And I would argue you're right. Baseball is even better because in boxing, you don't see the full technique even as you're watching right. the, it's about does he have the heart to win but in baseball it's about the mental energy or the mental uh, game that is happening am I going to guess the pitch that you're going to throw right. are you going to guess the right swing about the pitch that I'm going to throw right. that is, it comes down to that simplicity that simple moment right. you know where you're outsmarting the pitcher or the pitcher is outsmarting the batter well and the thing too is if you think <clears> about the greatest moments in a soccer game or in, yeah. or in a basketball game sure. or in a football game, you cannot create better than the greatest athletes doing those things right. in the real world. You cannot create better yeah. than watching Jim Brown run. Yes. You cannot create better than watching Pele. You could name right. 20 other people in soccer, sure, but sure. I can't. But you can't. <laughs> so I pick Pele. Like yeah, the, sure. We're literally the world's most famous soccer person of all time. It shows, <laughs> shows the extent of my knowledge. But anyway, they because yeah. we can't get an actor to do what those people no. can do. And I hate when they try because it never works. Right. It's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. But in baseball, you can't. Yes. In baseball, there it, you cannot have a moment filmically mm-hmm. as good as what you can do in a film in real life. Yeah. You know, cause you get the slow motion and, and this is one of the things, again, this goes into a sort of a filmmaking idea. One of the things I thought about quite a bit is that the power of editing is that you can extend time or compress time. Yeah. And frequently we compress time because you really don't want, if I have to walk a mile, you don't want to wait 10, 15, 20 minutes to watch a character walk a mile. Yeah. You're going to have them walk that mile in 10, 20 seconds. Yeah. So you're going to compress time, but you also are going to extend time. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I looked at, his last at bat yes, at the end of the game, right. seven minutes long. Wow. Yeah, because they're extending time so for every moment to look at every single detail right. so that it extends time in this way that every moment becomes important. Right. You know, and so like, and, and that's a really powerful thing. And the amount of time they must have spent shooting that last sequence is... 
insane. But it's also believable. If you've ever watched oh, yeah. the final at bat, it, goes it can go forever, right? Like I was watching the Kirk Gibson home run from the 1980 or 81 World Series where they, where they in the first game against the A's, bottom of the ninth, comes out of the dugout. It's a 19-minute long video right. from when the first person gets on base to when they to when Vin Scully starts talking about, or Jack, I think it's Jack Buck starts talking about Kirk Gibson and the stuff that he's going through and walking out into the, you know, stretching out and shaking the dirt off and doing everything. Sure. And by the time he gets to the batter in the box, it's like seven minutes. And then he starts it. And it's foul after foul and the strike and full count. It's just fantastic. But that's also, once again, Steve, the mythical nature of the game right. within itself. You know, even now, you see even now, like where, when we're recording right now, it's 3-2 in the World Series. Right. Who knows if the Cubs are going to come back and win again in two games in Cleveland. That would be mythical in itself. Right. You know, and like what happened with the Cavaliers earlier this year coming back from 3-1 in Golden State. Like it's mythical in that fact. And it gives us inspiration. Like that's the people uh, people who don't watch sports to me to me are like aliens to me because I don't understand it. I don't understand how you can't watch sports. Sports is drama. Sports is theater. Sports is this. And it comes ready made with real people, real stories, real characters with real flaws and real amazing characteristics and qualities. And so when people don't watch it who are big into theater, who are big into in film, I, I to me it's mind blowing to me that you don't understand sports. Well, to me it's funny because it's it's <sighs> to some degree it's my diatribe. I know. <laughs> No. Well, this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this with you is because yeah. I know you're a big sports fan. I really am. And, and it's funny. I think I rejected baseball as a fan mm. because maybe my dad was so much of one. Right. And But I do get sucked in. And last mm-hmm. night, we're at a party. The yeah. game was on. Yes. And so this is uh, there's one point where the Cubs have the bases loaded. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the moment. Right. And I had this thought as I'm watching this. It, like, you know, when I was a kid. And I was playing Little League. Yeah. I really could. I always fantasize about being that guy that's up, you know, two outs down, bases loaded, yeah. bottom of the ninth, which again, why, why baseball is so filmic. Because right. you can come to a moment where you know this is what it's about. Everything, everything was come to this. Right. And I'm watching this guy and I'm watching the pitcher and the batter in this moment. And I went, oh, I don't want to be one of them. Yeah. That looks horrible. It is. The, the amount of pressure and the knowledge that you're sitting there and going, oh, this is the moment of my life. It's theater. That's oh, no question about 90, it. 90,000 people in the stadium looking at you And going, millions of people around the world. Are you going to mess up the lines yeah. or not? It's yeah. amazing. But I, I you see, but the thing is, if, when I'm going to play, I'm pretty confident I'm not going to mess up those lines. And not messing up those lines isn't that hard. Gotcha. Do you know what I mean? When you have to hit a ball right. 90 miles an hour, a thing that the greatest people in, in the history of the world mm-hmm. do at best one out of three times yes. of at-bats. Yeah. And it's like now it's down. You have one pitch left. You have one strike left. Now you're, the odds are way against you, and everybody's looking, and this is going to be your life. If you mm-hmm. messed up your line, yeah, if you messed up your lines on the Oscars, maybe that would have the same impact. Sure. But almost nothing else. Right. You know, like, there, there's, this, is, this is big stuff. Right. And that's why it drives me nuts that people are not sports fans, because these people struggle, and they work hard, and they dedicate themselves to be the best that they can be in this particular... And do you know how we have 32 teams in the NFL? There's maybe... Eight to ten quarterbacks that are worth a damn, right? On the in the on the face of the planet, well, and that tells you that's insane. How well, and this it is. comes from thousands and thousands of high school kids playing football, right. thinking they're going to. And this is something that always amazes me, and it, and it really applies to the natural yeah. of what it means to be the best. Yeah, because I remember I, I this is a boxing story, but I I remember watching an Oscar De La Hoya fight, mm. and he was fighting a guy who's like the European champion. Okay. And, you know, at the beginning of a boxing match, they always have the thing where they go, uh, here's this person's history. So, right. So, so um, De La Hoya's history. And then they show this European guy's history. Mm-hmm. And they say he was the top 
uh, sprinter, the top soccer player. Right. He was the, the most popular kid at the school. He was the smartest kid at the school. He's undefeated. He's the golden boy of every single way. Right. And you go, wow, this guy sounds really good. And then they say, and then they talk to, you know, the, the color commentator and say, so what chances do you give him? He says, he's out in two. <laughs> or maybe he said, I think he said, he said he's out in three. And then Oscar De La Hoya beat him in two. Yeah. And I went, wow, what must that be to be literally the best in the world yeah. that you've ever experienced and to be so far out of the league of yeah. the person who's really good? Right. Like you think of all the great college quarterbacks mm -hmm. and you are never going to be in the NFL. Yeah. And you so are many a star, of them. Yeah. a star. So many of them. But the, and that's what's so great what you see with his story here in the film, in the in the natural. And I think I think baseball is the backdrop for the movie. Obviously, it is the central driving force yeah. of him. But he is like anyone else. He has a talent. He is he is a, he finds out that he has an innate talent. Right? Can he hone that talent? He and his dad even says that right to him. Right in the movie. Yeah. Right. His dad says that. You've got a gift, Roy. But it's not enough. You got to develop yourself. Rely too much on your own gift and you'll fail. You've got to train it. You've got to focus. You've got to make it your life's work to be the best at this. And you know, and he is. He is a natural, but he's trained to be as good as he is because he takes that talent and works on it. And you see that come through finally when he's uh, when he's for the New when he's playing for the New York Knights and he turns the team around. They find a way to get him to come back after he's been hurt. You know, after he tears his stitches from the right. bullet, the bullet comes back to haunt him, which of course has that line. And he never apologizes to Glenn Close for having cheated yeah. on. That's so interesting. But we should talk about Glenn Close too. We haven't we've talked about the movie without even touching about Glenn Close, and we should. Touch on her character because her character is so, is so good with what could have been just a, a, a plastic one note, one level yeah. character. And she gives so many levels to her, so many moments. The scenes in the, in the coffee shop when she shows up to the baseball game, yeah. she's the lady in white. He hits the home run. He goes well, Let's out. set this up a little yeah. bit. Let's set this up a little bit. because So yeah. Roy Hobbs comes back. Yeah. Finally, uh, Wilford Brimley lets him play. Mm -hmm. He's only substituting the moment because the head guy is Bump Daly, yeah. played by Michael Madsen. <laughs> the great Michael Madsen. And I got to say, my one quibble with the film he, is he's his... He's so out of place. He's really out of place. <laughs> and then his death is really weird. It is, well, it's yes. It's just kind of comic But in it's a way. comedic, yeah. It's, yeah, so he dies. <laughs> yes. And so now Roy Hobbs gets... Ironically, played. hustling for a ball. Hustling which, for a ball. Which the whole point was that he was not hustling anymore. And you find out he was in the pocket yeah. of the owner. Because he's dating Memo, who is the... Uh, as we right. know, the kiss of death, and she is working for both the owner and the gambler, right. and wants Bump to lose. And Bump only starts playing hard because of Roy, right. and then he dies. And so right. now Roy's in the game, and he's just doing what well. he literally the greatest. And it makes me wonder too. He misses the beginning of the season. Yeah. How many home runs did he hit? Before he started playing bad when he dates Memo, it right. must be a ton right. because it becomes very clear that this is the greatest hitter yeah. anyone's ever seen. Yeah. So he must be hitting 40 home runs or something. At I mean, least. Just crazy Probably. number of yeah. home runs. And then as soon as he starts dating Memo, he, he goes in the toilet. The whole team does. The whole team does. Mm -hmm. And this is why, cause, and it's funny because we start with dad saying, talent's not enough. You've got to work. You have yeah. discipline. And what we really learn is that it's this is a spiritual journey for right. him is that he must be be pure of spirit and then his talent will work you know it's like Samson mm -hmm. in the hair yeah um and 
as soon as he starts dating Memo, he has no power. This is a great all, point. It all goes away. Yeah. Um, because it's not like a movie where it's like Rocky, where we have to train. There's yeah. no training in the movie. Right. He's either good because he's pure of spirit yeah. or he's not. Yeah. And now he starts to lose. And now we discover Glenn Close again, who mm -hmm. we know he slept with when he was a kid. Yeah. And she's just in They were high school. They were sweethearts. High school sweethearts. Charlotte's sweethearts, yeah. And she goes to the game. Yeah. And he's losing. He gets up to bat. He loses. He gets up to bat, strikes out. Gets right. up to bat, strikes out. And then there is a moment that is as remarkable, particularly in terms of lighting, than yeah. anything I've ever seen, which is she in a white dress with this translucent white hat stands mm -hmm. up with the sunlight streaming in behind her. Right. And he looks up, and we think he sees her. Right. And then he turns and hits the ball into the clock at Reed. Yeah. But in that moment, you have the symbolism, right? The woman in white yep. versus Barbara Hershey, the woman in black. Right. That I, the, the old school black equals bad, white equals good, that kind of old school stuff. Once again, because it's set up in that time of black and white, of, right. what, of things were that way. And so when he... Well, and clearly this is a good and evil movie. Yes. This is not absolutely. a movie of grays. Well, yes. I think when we get to the Glenn Close situation, there's grays, right? Because she... You're assuming she, he never reached out to her again after nope. he got shot. Probably from embarrassment. Yep. Right? But she, I'm assuming, that's her child is his child. Well, this is what's And so it never gets really cleared up, does it? it? No, they, they never, never do. It. So they allude to it, but they never 100% concrete say it, concretely say it. So he, he, first he goes back to the diner. Yes. And, has a, and the scenes are so lovely. They were like, right. And, and, and this is, by the way, the term that we would use is in screenwriting for acting is mm -hmm. subtext, mm -hmm. which is that they're talking about lemonade. They're yeah. talking about baseball. They're talking about everything. And they're not talking about, I left you. Right. They're not talking about... What happened to you? Right. And they don't bring it up. And all of that, and that's what makes those scenes so good. Right. If you talked about it, you would lose all the juice. I agree. And they also don't portray her as a victim who had no. been searching for him or wondering where he was. She said, I'm happy. Never got married again. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm, I never get lonely. I never get lonely. That's so great because but, she's not, she doesn't need him. There's a difference. And you know. In the 80s. Know, and you know. And in the and in the 40s. And in the 40s, right. And you know she went through some pain. Yes. You know she of went through she Thing, but we're not going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then he goes back to the house and he sees that there's a baseball glove and she says, It's my son's. He means the world to me. He's a great kid. I'll bet he is. I'd like to meet him. He's coming home pretty soon. Is he with his father? No. His father lives in New York. Oh, you're... But I've been thinking that he needs his father now. He's at, a, he's at that age. I think he needs him. Sure. That father makes all the difference. Yes. His father was Which is basically York. alluding to the fact that it's Robert Redford. Well, we no, think. Yeah, but they never say it. No. Well, and this is the thing, too, is what does Robert Redford know and when does he know it? Right. And it does seem by the end of the film, he knows this is his son. Right. It's funny, watching that scene this time, mm -hmm. that's the scene I really cried at. Yeah, I really it really got to me. And I think maybe it's because I have a kid. And so children, things about children become right. more real. But watching Glenn Close not tell him that it's her child. Yeah. But he I love this moment where she knows he knows mm -hmm. she knows he knows he knows she knows he knows. <laughs> and there's this silent but no one no one's talking about it. Right. And I, the feeling of this kid and there's this moment where she says she says he won't believe it. 
Roy Hobbs. And what she's saying on the surface is she, he won't believe that I know Roy Hobbs and Roy Hobbs is in the house. Right. But what she's actually saying is I've never told him yeah. who his father is. Right. And he won't believe it when I tell him his father is Roy Hobbs. Right. That got me. That got <laughs> oh, me wow. really hard. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. I like that. I, 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 my reaction to it was, was just great because it's once again, it's that that's how people used to speak back then. The subtext uh, at least in my mind, right? My vision well, in of this what movie, is, yeah. The, the, you know the, what I mean? Like, the subtext is not spoken; it's just there. And a lot of people talk about from the older generations that I speak to sometimes, and they say to me, like, "Back then, we didn't do all that talking back then. Right? We we knew when we knew, and we did what we did, and we had a responsibility." Blah, blah, blah. And that's how it kind of was back then, right? Now we have all the psychoanalysis and also we do a lot of that, which can be good and bad, yeah. Like I, anything else, you know? I think there are problems. I mean, I, I think about sure. this. I think. In general, it's good that we can talk about our feelings Absolutely. in general, but sometimes once it's out there, it's out there. Yeah. And sometimes maybe it wasn't so good. Yeah. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? It's like maybe having a silent understanding about what's going on was better because when you put something out there, but we can't fix it, yeah. there's nothing to be done about it. Right. Well, then it just lays there and hurts us all. Right. You know, it's like if there's nothing to be done, I mean, I'm not suggesting that we should all suppress all our feelings no, no. and hold everything inside, but I think there are, I think you're right. There's you gotta, some problems. You got to pick it. and choose. Yeah. Pick and choose your battles. Yeah, like anything else. But, and the pain of that to go, because he, he's already felt guilty, we know, for the relationship with Barbara Hershey and where right. it went. He, I believe you're 100% right that he was embarrassed yeah. and that he was filled with shame and he was lost yeah. and he could never go back to Glenn Close and face her. Mm -hmm. And now he's discovering as a 40 year old man for the first time. Oh, I fathered a child with this woman and she's raised him without me. Yeah. Like the level of guilt. But because she doesn't say he's yours. Right. Because she doesn't say, where the fuck have you been? Yeah. She doesn't yell at him. She doesn't get angry. She doesn't. She says, I'm okay. Yeah. I don't get lonely. And he sees her strength. He can't step into that and yeah. say, say anything. He can't violate that. He knows. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing I, writing. As you read the book. Does that scene happen in the book at all? I don't think. Like I said, it's a while ago. Okay, okay. okay. My under my memory is there's no lady in white wow. in that way. Ooh. There isn't. A, he does. I I can't remember. Okay. As someone who's read the book uh, more recently, you can you can let us know. Yeah. But for me, I can't remember at this point. But my memory is that the Glenn Close character does not exist in the book the okay. way it is in the movie. Okay. Wow. Well, this is interesting because. Wow, because that that puts a whole new element to it, right? Because this is what I enjoy about her portrayal and her. <coughs> The way they construct her character, she is not, she's not a damsel in distress. Not at all. In any way, shape, or And when we talk about mythical stuff, she would be the princess in the tower, but she's not. No. She, she, no, honestly, she has her he's own the job. princess in the yes, tower. Yes, he is. Yes, he she's is. She's the hero that rescues right. him. She he really is does. Good. If, he, if she doesn't stand up in that scene, yeah. he's doomed. Yep. And then, and that's why he says, come. Yeah. And that's what, and, and what happens when he is in the hospital? Who right. comes and rescue him? Right. She does. And she understands him. And she brings, so, so let's, let's get to this part of the story. Yeah. He starts hitting again. Memo, her job yeah. is to sleep with him and control him and to help right. him to lose. Right. That is what. She's a cooler. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And that is what the judge and uh, Darren McFadden, the gambler, yeah. are, Gus, are trying to get him to do. Yeah. And, uh, and there's this great scene, by the way, where she's on the phone with him. And he's just seen Glenn Close, and she is talking to him and says, no, I'm at home in my negligee and right. thinking of you. And and then it ends up that Gus, the gambler, is just sitting there watching her. Yeah. And she lies. She has to make it look to Gus like she still has control of this right. guy, which she doesn't. Right. And then he, uh, we're at a party. Uh when they're winning, they've just made it almost to the pennant, I think. Yeah. And uh, there's a party at Memo's house, and then 
Robert Redford gets sick and gets rushed mm-hmm. to the hospital. And every time watching it, I go, because there's one moment right before where she, she poisoned him. Does she poison him? Yes, she poisons him. Well, this is what I'm never sure of. Oh, I'm absolutely sure. When she says, take this, eat this, it's her poisoning him. I, 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 they, again, it's subtle. I think yeah. that's what's happening. I'm telling you that's what's happening. <laughs> I have no, there's no subtlety in my mind. I'm telling you that's what she did. Well, and this is what's... This not is, a coincidence. Is that how intelligent do you want to believe your audience is? Mm-hmm. And in this movie, they go, these people are intelligent mm-hmm. enough to figure it out. If they don't, it's okay. And the ambigu- if they said, I'm going to poison him, you right. see her put a pill in it, and then she does that, yeah. it would not be nearly as interesting of going... Wait, did she poison him? Yeah. And the same thing's like, oh, it's your kid. Yeah. Is not as interesting. Or it's okay. Or when it's she okay. takes him into the barn. It's yeah. okay. Is that and this goes into, you know, one of the most important rules of writing is show don't tell. You're right. Is and show don't tell, which is deep, deep stuff. The more I think about it, the older I get. Mm-hmm. It is what the real thing to me is create it so it's active in my mind yeah. and my imagination as the viewer. Don't tell me. Don't explain it to me straight up because then it's not active. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he ends up in the hospital mm-hmm. and he wants to cut and he is essentially told if you play baseball again, you will die in a maternity hospital in a maternity. That's the closest one for him to get closest to this one there. Yeah. Um, and the, and the team is losing without him mm-hmm. and he's got to make this decision. Do I do I play? It could mean my death. Right. And of course, the judge and Gus and Memo want him to not play. Right. And the judge comes and offers him, again, it's a, a reference to the Chicago Black Sox scandal. Mm-hmm. He says, I think $10,000 is the going rate. I'm going to double that. Here's $20,000. Because 10000 is what they yep. gave to the Black Sox. Right. And he's left with this choice. And Memo says what you think a loving woman should say is, baseball's not worth it. Yeah. This is your life. You're crazy to think that you should play. And what Glenn Close, she doesn't. She comes. Again, she's the hero. Yeah. She comes to rescue him. And she doesn't say that. Nope. She completely understands why he wants to play. Yeah. But here's the thing. Why is he still talking to Kim Basinger? Why is he still talking to Memo if he has this thing going developing with Glenn Close? What is he doing? And this is this is an interesting thing to strip apart. I totally agree. Yeah. Is it a misogynistic thing because at the time we were in the eighties, we were okay with this seeing this guy play both women at the same time, but we were okay with this. We would not see this now. We would not see this now. He we would have we would want him to have resolution with the evil one before he would allow before we would allow as an audience to accept him being visited by Glenn Close's character. Glenn Close's character is so strong, so 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 powerful in the whole film. She is a constant. She is a constant and is so good that when you see him still messing around with Memo, he doesn't learn his lesson until she shoots the fu- the gun later. I almost cussed him, sorry. He, she, she doesn't... I already swore it. Yeah. So we, right? The ex- little explicit tag is already on the podcast. <laughs> she says, like, she, he doesn't learn his lesson until she shoots the gun when he goes back to give the money back to the owner. She says he doesn't want to be part of it and doesn't want to right. throw the... The fact that he took the money at all, I guess, is an allusion to what happens in the... Allusion to what happens in the book. That he actually does throw the game and so he the fact that he even considered it to me is insane to watch in this film because nothing leading up to that moment makes you believe that he would do it and yet he takes that money at least for a night to consider it well i think it's funny you say they wouldn't do that today because we wouldn't today have you know in the 80s maybe more sexist time i think is what you're saying yes i am yeah and what i would say is yes i don't think we do it today either but but because i think we're not as comfortable in the gray areas Today mm. as then to me, oh, good point. Yeah, this is a guy very clearly struggling mm-hmm. with that same thing yeah. from when he was twenty years old right. that led him to want Barbara Hershey. And to be honest, you know, 
you look at the world, this is something guys struggle with. Right. I mean, look, I think there was just another Tiger Woods scandal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like we've seen guys who literally have had their life ruined yeah. from, you know, womanizing. Wanting to womanize, yeah. And yet they do it again. But this is interesting because in this film, it goes from, initially it goes from him being a young kid with this older woman yeah. to him being an older man with this younger woman. Yeah. Once these are the two juxtapositions of what men find themselves yeah. in sometimes. Yeah. And I think he's, you're right, is that even though we're going, don't go with kids. Go right, with right. What the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. He doesn't just say, get the hell out of here. No, he doesn't. He's still sort of trying to find a way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the only way to purify himself is literally to go through death. Yeah. He has to get up to that plate knowing I might die. Right. And that is what purifies him. Again, it's like it's a knight in shining armor. Yeah. You know, he has to pass the final test. Yeah. And there's the scene... Uh, which I find so moving. I, I there, Sometimes it's the line you don't say mm-hmm. that is the one that's really powerful. And there's a scene where Glenn Close is there and they're talking about what he could have been. Things sure turned out different. In what way? Different. For 16 years, uh, I've lived with the idea that I could be, could have been the best in the game. You're so good now. I could have been better. I could have broke every record in the book. And then? And then? And then when I walked down the street, people would have looked and they would have said, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was in this game. You know, I believe we have two lives. What do you mean? The life we learn with, and the life we live with after that. With or without the records, they'll remember you. That day in Chicago, why did you stand up? I didn't want to see you fail. I wish they had God, I love baseball. Uh, I started crying. Yeah, I, I have never cried at that moment ever, but I think it's because both of us have lost our fathers now yeah. as we're older, and that moment made me cry. I, and I'd forgotten about him, his father dying in the film earlier. Yeah. In the, it had been so long since I'd seen it, I'd forgotten how his dad died in the film. And so that, that affected me, but it wasn't until he said that. Yeah. Because every it's man... It's an unfinished moment. Every man, as they get older, when they've lost their father, misses their father in certain moments, and especially in moments of great decision. Because they've all they were always a counsel for them, yeah. and when he has that moment, I just started crying. It was such a great. I had to stop the. I had to pause the Blu-ray because I was crying so hard because it was such a beautifully well acted moment. Oh yeah, and you're right, Steve. What he says, God, I love baseball. God, and I love baseball. You, and that is the finish. That is right. the. I'm not going to say the thing. Yeah, but we have a sense of what the thing he was going to yes. say is. It's funny. Even before my dad died, that moment always got me. Oh wow. Oh yeah. Okay. Always, always got me. And I think to me. And this is why, because even before my dad died, mm-hmm. I knew the dad was connected to baseball. Yeah. Because there's something about baseball that's the tradition. Mm-hmm. There's something about baseball that is this way of coming into manhood. Yeah. There's something about baseball as this thing that fathers and sons and grandfathers can share. Mm-hmm. You can have the game of catch. And there's something about baseball, at least for me, that was always incomplete. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I can remember as a kid, 
my dad worked really hard. Mm -hmm. You know, he worked six, six and sometimes seven days a week. He had an optometric practice. He was yeah. always in the city. And, he, and then he had other work that he did. And he came home. And I, I remember as a kid going, Dad, you want to play catch? Yeah. He's like, not today. I'm tired. Yeah. You know? And the wanting, the wanting the connection with Dad. Oh, sure. And knowing baseball was this thing to connect with. Right. And maybe not having it made me, even as a kid going, because you want your dad to see you. I think yeah. that's what it is. Mm -hmm. When he says, of I course. wish my dad could have seen yeah, that's the thing of is we is. we as young men coming into manhood go, I want my dad to approve of me yeah. in this way. Mm -hmm. And that's what that moment is about. And that's ironic for me personally in a number of ways, because a, I, I, I was the first person to enjoy baseball in my family. Like my, because oh, wow. we're a Latino family. My dad and mom were both immigrants from Bolivia, legal immigrants where anybody flips out on this podcast from Bolivia. And they, soccer was our thing. Right, so right. dad and I would go in the backyard and kick the ball to each other for hours. Right. That's how we developed. It was what you sure, guys, sure. what Americans have for catch for baseball. Yeah. And so, but I fell in love with baseball, but the correlations are, the, the sport is irrelevant. The, the correlation is what matters, right. right? And what you said, this idea of having your father see you. Yeah. It's so powerful. That moment. And we only get it when you're older. You only get that moment when you're older. I think for real, you only really get the power of that moment when you're older. And for me, this is the most ironic thing. My father would be so proud of the man I am now, but it took him dying for me to become the man I am now. That's what's so wow. insane to me. That's what's so like such a great colossal in a way cliche, but also a truth like the man I am now my father would be so incredibly proud of and this was the man I was trying to be while he was still alive, but I couldn't I wasn't there yet and it took his dying to grow me the heck fuck up and understand you know and so well, and that's what's so great about that moment it hit me that's why i cried because i was like oh, i get it well this is why but this is this is why we have myths yeah we don't have myths because i'm gonna go fight a dragon <laughs> right we have myths because myths are symbolic of our 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 journey into adulthood yeah both men and women and this is you know if you read joseph campbell if you read the hero's journey hero with a thousand faces yeah this is what it is is that we have to go through the trials yeah and and because we have to go from the child to the adult yeah and as the adult i mean i remember I remember when my dad was dying and I was like, oh man, this is the real grown up shit. Yeah. You know, now I'm dealing with, and, and as you, as you grow older, you start to go, I don't know if you've had this experience where you kind of go like, oh, now I've done that. Yeah. Now I've done the dead parent. Now right. I've done the, this one. Mm -hmm. Now I've had the close friends get the, the divorce or right. now I've been around the, I've had the serious health issue. I've yeah. had the, like, oh, that's what this is like. Yeah. And it's very different from how you look at it as, as a kid. Mm -hmm. and as you go through that and you're like, oh, I'm taking on adulthood. Yeah. And it's funny that it actually takes, I hadn't thought about it quite this way before. Uh, even though Roy Hobbs comes into that ballpark as a man with great experience, yeah. much more experience than the kids he's playing baseball with. Yeah. He doesn't become a man till the end of the movie. No, right, exactly. That is the that is the moment of manhood. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, because he he like you said, he has to go through death to be reborn, which is ironic because he's in a maternity ward. It's it's like little quiet symbolism of being reborn. You know, he's being reborn as a man. Oh, and I hadn't I, thought about yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Oh, that's great. Of course, it's 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 all there. Like to me, it was like, oh, this is of course this makes the most sense because it's ironic that it's a maternity ward. It's ironic, but he has to be reborn, right? To be again, to be to be who he was supposed to be from the beginning, and I think. It has to go through this tri these trials and tribulations as our hero would go through to achieve the ultimate goal, which is when he hits that ball out of the ballpark and when you, you see the lights. It's such a, I mean, one of the most iconic moments in film ever to have him hit the ball into the lights. The 
the sprinkling of the lights, uh, you know, coming down on people like like once again in the sound. We we and we should we should touch on the music definitely real quick. We're gonna do more and touch on it. Okay, but you can that full like with the lights all coming down and the the all the fireworks coming on top of them, you know, and the guy in the stands going holy shit, you know, without hearing him say it. Uh, All of that happens, and it's so great because it's it like it puts it all in. It's like it completes the circle, and. Who knows if they win the World Series? I think he never comes back to play baseball no, after that one so. year. I think he goes in and builds his life. I, I don't think he comes back after this hit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I absolutely. think this is it. Absolutely. And it's such a great way to go out. Well, and that moment, first of all, it's that it's a 20-minute game. It's yeah. seven minutes of, of build of just yeah. that at bat. Yeah. It is all of the details of all the characters, the fans, moving from the, the – Oh, by the way, do you know who the announcer is? Uh, Bob Costas. No. no. It's Barry Levinson. Oh, how great. Yeah, they were trying to get, and it's mostly improv. That's him just improvising. All that goodbye, Mr. Spaulding. Yeah. And welcome to the majors, Mr. Hobbs. And that's That's Barry Levinson. Levinson? Yeah. He did a great job. Really great job. When he talks about the uh, Nebraska farm kid coming up to pitch, once again in slow motion, Levinson does that. It's so great. And and that's his parallel. Yes. Because he's now facing the young version of himself. Absolutely. And I think that ball hitting those lights Mm -hmm. is among the top five great climaxes, moments of yeah. moments, to me, bigger than the Death Star exploding. Wow. Like, it's so cathartic. I would agree with you. Uh, now, I had to think, I, I'm, I'm going to hesitate a little bit on what I just okay. said, because I can't go back to when I was nine and saw Star Wars for the first right, time, right, which right, might right. have been the greatest movie orgasm moment. Uh, at the, but does it still affect you in the same no. way? And I think this still does. This still does. Yeah. This still does. The build to this is so powerful. Yeah. And and let's so let's talk about the music. Okay. So the score is Randy Newman. He had barely done anything for, in terms of film scoring before this. Right. He had scored a couple of movies. Yeah. And Randy Newman, if you knew him in the seventies, was this guy who did these kind of weird, yeah, short people, funny, like like yeah. how am I supposed to feel about this sort of songs? He was like a alternative singer songwriter guy. Yeah. And Barry Levinson is the guy who wanted to hire him. The yeah. studio was like, how could this guy possibly do this movie? Randy Newman didn't think he could do the movie. Wow. He thought this was way out of his realm, and wow. he was terrified. Wow. Yeah, and because he had the big orchestral yeah. sweeping, and there's nothing sarcastic about this music nope. at all. Nope. It is straight-up mm-hmm. American, hopeful, you yep. know, swelling orchestra. And 40s, 50s stuff. Yeah. yeah, and there's one day where they're in the editing room, and Randy Newman's like two doors down, kind of working on the score and they start to hear this theme coming from the sound and Barry Levinson goes well if that's our theme this is going to be good (laughs) and it is it's one of my favorite soundtracks in the world absolutely it is so good it sweeps you up it sweeps you up into the moments of the film yeah absolutely And even even when they're doing when they're on their streak and they're winning all the yep. all the games, all that is just great, just great. You get caught up in it. You're like in the joy of it all, you yep. know. And, and and the the dun 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 dun. Yes. It's so rousing. <laughs> it's so filled with that sense of Americana. It is. And, and this is one of the other things. So we talked about the mythic elements of yeah. it. And there's another one I was thinking about, too, because Barbara Hershey's character mm-hmm. brings up uh, it, the Iliad and the Odyssey right. and Homer. And I was like, oh, well, in the Odysseus, he mm-hmm. goes away for 30 years. He does. And he finally has to come back to his 
wife Penelope yeah. and to prove who he is because he's unrecognizable yeah. now he has to pull back the bow that no one else can pull and shoot it you know through 40 axe handles or something right and it's like man that's what Roy, Roy Hobbs has to prove yep. with Wonder Boy yeah. to Glenn Close that he is still this man right that he is the, the that the young man that she fell in love with is inside of him right and I think which is great is that he has to use the purer bat yeah. In order to hit the ball mm. because oh, yeah, Wonder Boy right. breaks. Wonder yeah. Boy breaks Wonder Boy on breaks. that foul ball and it's because he has to use the bat that was made from a pure place. From the from the uh bat boy with the highest voice. <laughs> it's like, like yes. dude, I hope you went through puberty after this because <laughs> That is a, but it's so great that he has to use that bat that yeah. they built together, you know, yeah. because it's the legacy. He's passing on the legacy, and mm-hmm. it makes the most sense. And and, and it's and that's part of how the movie is filled with these American yeah. moments with the cards and the kids yeah. and the newsreel footage and all of these things that harken back to what really wasn't a better or purer time. Yeah, right. But we can romanticize it. Of course. And, and this is one of the things that's in the film, too, is the difference between the pastoral America mm-hmm. and the city America. Yeah. And the pastoral America is perceived as pure and right. bucolic and beautiful and wholesome. Right. And the city America is corrupt and violent and... <laughs> Now, I don't agree with those things. Mm-mm. I think we're all messed up and all good. Yes, and of bad, course. But that those themes still exist within America, and it's yeah. played beautifully here. Yeah. I mean, like, even with uh, when we first meet Robert Duvall, who we have to talk about more, yeah. and when we're on the train, they are the corrupt city folk. Yes. And and Roy definitely is like, don't you can't talk to him like that. Yeah. Mr. You know, because yeah. he is the pure country folk. Yes. So Barbara Hershey, she's city folk. Well, you yeah. Know? And that's why she comes off in the way that she does, right? Everybody who he encounters from the city initially is rejecting of him. Right. And judging of him, right? And or wants to use him. Yep. Yeah. And what does Wilford Brimley want to be? He wants right. to be a farmer. Yes. I should have been a farmer. It's so great. All this stuff with him is so good. I, yeah, I should have been a farmer. I should have been my, a farmer. My, my mother, my mother, Red, my mother begged me to get out of this game, yeah. but I didn't listen. And, and then there's that moment where Wilford Brimley, at the end of the movie, when yeah. Roy's going to come back, uh, Wilford Brimley says, You know, my mother told me I ought to be a farmer. My dad wanted me to be a baseball player. Such a great moment, man. Yeah. It's a great end of the circle from when he started not yep. playing him at all yeah. to, where he has to, to where he admits that in such a pure way. It's so great. Yeah, it's a really satisfying movie. Yes, agreed. Okay, Duvall. Yep. Yes, Robert Duvall. He's a fascinating scoundrel, I yes, think, he in is. this movie. Yes. Because And I hate him. Do you hate the character or oh, you hate, I hate Robert the character. Duvall? No, I hate the character. I, I He's such a jerk. I hate and like him. You do like him? Uh, well, in the sense that we've talked about liking certain villains. Oh right, yeah, fair you know enough. I mean? yes. Like I oh, yeah, enjoy him on screen. Oh yes, he's great on screen. And yes. there is a there is a scoundrel purity about mm-hmm. him because he does care about the story. Yes. He really and when he draws, when we see him draw the strikeout of the whammer. Right. And we go, oh, now he's found a new story. Right. And there's this great line, which I feel like I brought up in another podcast, where Roy Hobbs says, did you ever play the game, Max? Yeah. And he says, no, but I made it, make it a hell of a lot more fun to watch. Yeah. And that's, and that's a really fascinating sort of... That's the classic player versus yeah. uh, writer argument that we still have now. Kevin Durant is doing that now with the Warriors mm. in the NBA. He is going after all the writers for coming after him from going to Gold, for going to Golden State. Right. And so it happens all the time. It happens all the time. And it's because these writers are not athletes. And so a lot of these players get really mad at them judging them. Right. Like, You've never done what I do. How could you possibly 
literally write about what you've never done. Right. You've never been where I've been. How could you speak about it so knowledgeably? And how can you influence the public to look at me and say things to me in a certain way right. when you've never done it? Because they frame, they. The, they frame the game. Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there was this time, I mean, the big reporters, big sports reporters, mm-hmm. they were hugely powerful. Oh, yeah. In a way that I don't think they are now. No, no, no. I mean, they're still important sports reporters. Sure. But not not that every single person reading about baseball would read. No, no, those yeah. days are done. Like Dick yeah. Schaap was one of the last ones, mm. you know, and he passed away a few years ago. So his, his son is nowhere near that level. So it's like those guys aren't. The, I mean, you see the sports writers nowadays; they're on TV, they're doing things. It's nowhere near the power that they used to have because we have the online community, people blogging. So there's all kinds of voices now right. that it, it's, it it gets washed out. Well, and this is where I wish, <laughs> as much as some of these people were powerful and not good, yeah. Uh, And I do like the fact that we have Rotten Tomatoes and Yelp and all these places where everybody can voice their opinion. Having the great experts to talk about a certain thing. We talked about this when we talked about When We Were Kings. Yeah. Um, Oh, uh, George Plimpton and um, Arthur Mailer. Norman Mailer. Norman Mailer. Norman Mailer and George Plimpton. Having these great voices to speak at a time. That was kind of neat. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you the one thing I don't like with Robert Duvall's character. Okay. It bothers me that he's in with Gus and the judge. He has to be. Not to me. I wanted him to be pure, 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 pure self-interest in the sense of I'm after the story. I didn't want him to be after money. <laughs> but you, you, you can't turn a fan base against the team without having a sports writer in your pocket to write stories that you pay him to write. That's true. That's what they were using him for. And no, that's I agree. What he willingly took the money to do. I, I understand. I wish that he had just been separate. Would, if it I helps you feel any better, I still think he would have been a cynical jerk from the beginning. He's just getting paid to do it even more than what he's getting paid by his uh, employer at the newspaper. Gotcha. I think he's still a cynical, pure jerk. I think he'd have written these stories anyway. Yeah. I think he was. He's I like the money. I like the guy who's just. I'm trying to write great stories. Yeah. I wish it had been. It would seem unnecessary mm-hmm. to have him in that one scene. Yeah. And introduce him to to Gus. Yeah. Like I don't feel like that was necessary. Okay. It's just me. Okay. It's just me. It's just me. <laughs> All right. Uh, but one uh, one thing I do want to say is I like that he gets his comeuppance with the foul ball into the glass. Oh yeah. With the uh, hitting him, uh, Roy Hobbs hitting the baseball to hit him while he right. drops the camera. He does get his comeuppance a number of times in the movie. Um, one last thing. I want to say is I love the fact that this is one of those movies where they find these character actors to play members of the team and they're so natural. Oh yeah. Like Hoosiers. So natural. Yeah, and yeah. they almost none of them work again. And it but they're so good on the team as players and believable. And you get you buy into what they're doing so well. Well one of the things they said is they really tried to cast people who could play baseball. Yeah. Which well, is hard. And and this may we'll put this down to legends of behind the scenes sure, stories. Sure. But they say Redford could really hit the ball. <laughs> But you usually hear this By the when way, you hear sports movies. I would like that to be a separate TV segment we do in the 80s. Legends of behind-the-scenes <laughs> stories. Of behind with some scenes. terrible super that comes up in yellow. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. In 1934, behind-the-scenes video was made <laughs> before there was even video. It was remarkable. Ronald Reagan could really run the ball yeah. in Newt Rockney, All-American. Uh, yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, just uh, Anyway, all right. There we go. So, but what... <laughs> Final thoughts? So, final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, uh, the love I have for this film can't be quantified by words, and it was great to revisit it What about it by again. numbers? Uh, <laughs> it's definitely top 
five sports movie, maybe top three, top two, maybe even top two sports movies. Yeah, wow. possibly. I mean, it's up there for me. I like Field of Dreams, but Field of Dreams loses a little bit because you don't actually see a game. I don't. Yeah, I so think Field me, of Dreams. I w it's almost not a sports movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's yeah. No criticism of Field of Dreams, right? But it's not. A, it, they're not having. The, it's about the myth. It's about of the father baseball. and son. That's it's about. It it's a, all the stuff we talked about. Yeah. If uh, about mythology and mm -hmm. father and son and mm -hmm. tradition and America and pastoral. That's all in Field yes. of Dreams. And what isn't there is sports. Yeah. And so, so I would if you if you haven't seen the movie in a while, I would encourage you to go back and watch, it, especially after how we talked about it. Really sit down and enjoy it and. And, and let it wash over you again. You know, remember it. Remember it as you used to watch it, but then watch it again with these different eyes. Because I think the great one, the great movies you can always watch over again at different times in your life and get different things out of them. And I think this is definitely one of them. And I certainly did. So I couldn't recommend this highly enough. And uh, it's um, just one of the most perfect love letters to baseball I've ever seen on film. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching. And I think I, I think that looking at this view of America mm -hmm. and looking at this view of the mythology of America is really great because we live in a really cynical age. Yeah. And maybe every age is really cynical. I don't know. But it certainly feels like we're in a dark place. And looking back and trying to find that connection mm -hmm. to what America is supposed to be yeah. and to find the... You know, this is a spiritual movie. Yeah. This is a movie about power and truth coming from goodness. Yeah. And this is about a character who goes through hard times yeah. and comes out the other side. And this is about a team that goes through hard times and comes out the other side. Absolutely. And this is about a family that goes through hard times yeah. and comes out the other side. Mm -hmm. And that the hopefulness of it is something we need. We need a lot of this right yeah. now. Yeah. Because it's not a very hopeful moment. No. Yeah. And so it's worth watching again. It's worth shedding a tear. It's worth putting that soundtrack on on your way to work Absolutely. and feeling a little better. And maybe you can get a little lift in your shoe and start looking at this world like there's a little more hope than there was before. I like that, Steve. All right. So that is it for this week. <laughs> we will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.